Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. In November 2018, the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force, or USPSTF, advised screening for alcohol use disorder in primary care settings for all adults. Alcohol use or misuse can have serious health consequences, especially for immunocompromised patients. To better understand the impact of alcohol use disorder among patients with HIV at their clinic, a research team implemented the Alcohol Use Disorders Identification Test Self-Administered Questionnaire in each of their HIV patient visits. With me today to discuss their study and its implications are the lead author and presenting author. I'm Dr. Trini Matthew. I'm the hospital epidemiologist and medical director of infection prevention at Beaumont Hospital Royal Oak in Michigan. And I'm Evan Brickner. I'm a fourth-year medical student at Oakland University William Beaumont School of Medicine, which is in Rochester, uh, Michigan. Thank you both for joining me today. To start, your abstract mentions a change in USPSTF screening recommendations for alcohol use disorder in primary care settings for all adults. Can you talk a little bit about those changes and how they influenced your study? Yes. So Evan and I were exploring, discussing about screening for alcohol use disorders sometime in 2018, if I recall. And around that time, in fall of 2018, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force came up with a recommendation statement that was published in JAMA with the recommendations based on the evidence review that all adults should be screened for alcohol use disorders in primary care clinics. So their recommendations for screening for unhealthy alcohol use in primary care settings in adults 18 years or older, including pregnant women, and providing these persons with brief behavioral counseling to reduce unhealthy alcohol use. So this, in fact, lent itself support further to incorporate screening in a systematic format within our own clinic that is actually led by the infectious disease fellows percepted by ID faculty. Just according to the article, just not only identifying, um, trying to identify all adults who might have alcohol uh, use disorder, but also making a broader definition of what it means to engage in hazardous alcoholic drinking. Um, It might not have to be uh, identification of a full-blown alcohol use disorder, but maybe something considered more mild on the spectrum and trying to identify people who are at risk of Um, any sort of hazardous alcohol drinking, whether it's risky behavior here and there or full-blown alcohol use disorder. So redefining it as a spectrum and then trying to identify as many adults as possible through routine screening for all adults. I just want to give some more background with regard to the work we initiated in the clinic. We know alcohol use disorders can impact adherence and also can impact the outcomes for you know, non-HIV and HIV patients. So this was a project that Evan expressed interest in addressing alcohol use disorders. And as he indicated, 
it's important to identify the at risk and this by by screening because diagnostics is based on the DSM criteria and the ICD criteria. But even to identify at risk, drinking is important in a primary care setting. And this is where we were working towards establishing or initiating the project that Evan was deciding to get started on. And the US Preventive Services Task Force published this in JAMA. Mm -hmm. Um, so to screen patients with HIV specifically, your patients completed the Alcohol Use Disorders Identification Test Self-Administered Questionnaire. Why did you choose this questionnaire specifically to use? The audit tool has been internationally validated, including in the U.S., and was part of the World Health Organization's evaluation since 2001, we have been aware about this, and there is a manual for use in primary care setting. And this is a screening and brief intervention tool in primary care setting. It's easy to administer. It can be a self-administered questionnaire, or it can be, you know, by a person asking a patient. And we had discussed about what are the tools that is available. I have already used the audit screening tool in the past, actually as an infectious disease fellow, I've explored incorporating audit tool and TB patients in Siberia and Russia where I was doing my work with partners in health. So I was familiar with the audit tool and its validation processes and how it can be used as a self-administered questionnaire. And we thought we can incorporate this within the workflow of patients coming to our clinic and get an understanding on what is our issue or what might be our patient population's concerns related to at-risk drinking. Again, given my prior experiences utilizing audit tool and the ease that it can be easily incorporated and the ease of administering as a self-administered questionnaire, we decided to incorporate this as a systematic screening tool within our population. Other tools exist outside the audit. There's the abbreviated audit C, which uh, I believe only has like three or so questions. And there's also the CAGE questionnaire, which is for general questions related to alcohol use. The audit tool is nice because it's a little bit longer. It's a 10 question survey, but it touches on not only how much is somebody drinking or how often is somebody drinking, which is what the brief questionnaires kind of address, um, but it also dives a little bit deeper and kind of paints a bigger picture of how somebody might be using alcohol in a hazardous way. So by having like a 10 question questionnaire, you get a sense of not only how often and how much, but also to what extent might it be influencing somebody's life? Are there any additional dependence issues at play and just painting a, a better picture of alcohol misuse? What was the impact of alcohol use disorder in HIV patients that were screened? So this is an ongoing work that we are doing. And we started off the work with regard to addressing whether we could even screen for alcohol use disorder. So we started off with incorporating the screening tool at the time of a clinic visit. And we are still looking at follow-up and distributing this questionnaire repeatedly 
with next visit, with each visit. So the process entails with, first of all, having the screening tool available at the time of registration when they were coming for inpatient visit. Subsequently, the patient receives the questionnaire and fills it out while they're in the waiting room, for example, waiting for the fellow and the faculty to start the visit. So patients can provide the summary during the visit itself and the scores can be tallied and the fellow and faculty can address that simultaneously while they're at the visit. Our study is more of a retrospective subsequent analysis based on then the audit score and correlated CD4 count and HIV viral load that may be available at the time of the clinic visit. So it's a, it's a longitudinal process that they're looking at. And Evan can describe further what are some of the challenges, but at this point, we have just done initial analysis that Evan can also speak to. When I was looking at the data analysis side of it and inserting all the numbers, essentially, as Dr. Matthew was saying, patients would have completed an audit form upon coming to their appointment. And then whether or not they were high risk for hazardous drinking or not, the criteria we used was the criteria put forth by the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, which is itself a part of the Health and Human Services. And so for our study, if a man in between the age of 18 and 60 scored eight or higher, that would be considered a positive screen. If a man older than 60 or women of all ages screened above four or higher, then that would be considered at-risk drinking. Those are the cutoff criteria that we use because that's what states in the clinician's guide that we reference, which is put together by the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism and Health and Human Services. If those scores were reached, it would be flagged as at-risk drinking and then we would try to correlate the audit form scores to uh, their blood work if their blood work was completed within one month of them filling out the audit form. So then we can try to see if there's any relationships between at-risk drinking and then health markers like CD4 count, HIV viral load, and a few other variables as well. In terms of the results or like the findings of this study, our initial hypothesis was that uh, at-risk drinking would have no association with age, but would be associated with a decreased CD4 count and an increased HIV viral load. Interestingly enough, it, it worked out to be a little bit different than that. So we found a statistically significant relationship between at-risk drinking and age. People who screened positive for at-risk drinking were statistically more likely to be older. For example, at-risk drinkers on average were 54.93 years old or almost 55 years old compared to their not at-risk counterparts who are about 47.08 years old. We got a statistically significant difference in terms of age, at-risk folks being much older in age. We did not find any statistically significant difference between CD4 count and viral load when it comes to looking at um, audit scores of at-risk and not at-risk. How might your findings or initial findings uh, inform clinical practice and how alcohol use disorder is screened in the future? What's really important for us to understand is incorporating a screening tool, a systematic screening tool within clinical practice. And this can be incorporated within EMR. And once that is incorporated, patients are able to 
themselves fill this questionnaire prior to the clinic visit. And I would like to pivot a little bit and incorporate the current scenario that we're working with, which is the COVID pandemic. And in-person clinic visits may not be feasible. However, during televisits, the screening tool, if incorporated within an EMR, is then available for both the patient and the provider to have a conversation about at-risk drinking. So I think what our study really helps or shed high, pose a, a question is, can people utilize this tool in the current scenario that we're faced with? And the answer is yes, we can incorporate this tool because always a hesitation by clinicians have been it's impossible to do everything within a brief clinic visit. And in a primary care setting, people are really having to address a lot of other factors that might be associated with poor outcomes in general. And having a tool that's incorporated with an EMR is then available for both patient and a provider to discuss at-risk drinking. And our study just shows that a systematic screening tool can be incorporated within a clinic visit. Of course, we were having an in-person visit, and now we have to work towards making sure it's in- incorporated, integrated within an EMR. And our hope is that this can be sustainable then at that point, and that would be our goal to then analyze and look at and have conversations with the provider and the patient. I think that's well said, as Dr. Matthew mentioned, unfortunately, when the COVID pandemic shut everything down in the initial phases back in March, it made it difficult, if not impossible, for patients to come in and fill out this form. So as Dr. Matthew was saying, this study helps to kind of lay the foundation in allowing the audit tool to be converted into some sort of computerized format where patients can complete it online, or it could be all within a system in the patient's electronic medical record, just trying to find ways to where we can ensure that it's able to be completed without necessarily sitting on the clinic day, if not only to save time, but also to ensure that it's able to get completed. So that's one of the goals of the study as well, try to ease its accessibility and allowing patients to complete it electronically. And I guess also there's the other thing I would mention is more broadly, just trying to help highlight the fact that excessive alcohol consumption is a pretty common problem amongst patients in general, but specifically also people with uh, HIV. There have been studies to suggest that people with HIV might be at higher risk of substance abuse or substance use and other potentially deleterious side effects. So just trying to identify a problem that's pretty common, um, but also pretty elusive. So I think that if nothing else, the study kind of helps to highlight that this is a pressing issue and it should be on every clinician's radar, frankly. I echo that. And as I mentioned, you know, this is uh, something that I have been working on for many years and incorporated within different clinic structure, both in U.S. as well as in internationally. We've been addressing, I was working with a group identifying alcohol use disorders in HIV population in a clinic setting in Mumbai, if that can be incorporated in addressing it. Similarly, also in TB patients, even just having a conversation on what is 
at-risk drinking. What is the standard drink? I think that's something even clinicians sometimes are unaware about. And again, Evan embarked on this project, actually as part of his Embark project, as part of his um, medical school research activities, even to talk about what is the standard drink, you know, and to think about incorporating screening for alcohol use disorders within a clinic infrastructure, within a framework of a clinical setting. I think that's really important. And of course, uh, what is important also is to address the impact of alcohol consumption, not just in HIV patients, but in non-HIV patients. As we know, studies have already been done about issues related to alcohol use disorders and its impact on medication adherence, impact on immune system and immunosuppression that can be potentially harmful to a person. And therefore, again, as I highlighted, the U.S. Preventive Task Force 2018 recommendations came out with regard to screening for alcohol use disorders that needs to be incorporated in primary care settings, including as we have in our ID Fellows Clinic. So I just want to emphasize that clinicians need to have conversations with their patients on what the standard drink and calculating that out, even just addressing it. It is, for example, a can of beer, you know, 12 ounces, right? So those kind of things are important for us to talk about and bring it forward with each clinical encounter we have so that patients are able to think about whether they're at risk or not. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say are the overall key take-home messages for clinicians today? I think the key take-home messages are we are able to incorporate a systematic screening tool in a clinical infrastructure or framework as part of a clinic visit. And we embarked on the audit tool which is actually can be a self-administered questionnaire that patients are able to review and themselves answer. There's always hesitation by clinicians that patients may not be able to answer these questions. And our study just did delve into that and was able to show that patients are able to fill out these questionnaires by themselves while they're waiting for an appointment to to start while sitting in the waiting room, for example. And a systematic screening tool can help us understand over a period of time as a longitudinal process, having conversations. And I think that's feasible. So clinicians are able to engage in conversations on alcohol use and at-risk use in a longitudinal manner. I think that take-home message, and I already talked about trying to identify hazardous alcohol drinking because it is ever so present in our society today, particularly among certain patient populations. So not only trying to identify its presence, but also trying to take the initial steps in lending some sort of support to patients who might be suffering from some sort of hazardous drinking or at-risk drinking themselves. Some patients might be drinking excessively um, and not even realize it. As Dr. Matthew was mentioning, some people might not even like understand what it means to have a standard drink, whether that's 12 ounces of beer or five ounces of wine or one and a half ounces of hard liquor. These sorts of conversations are important uh, to helping promote overall patient health and well-being. And it's just kind of one aspect of care, I think, that should be 
kind of thought of when treating the whole patient. So another take-home point could be the fact that at-risk drinking may be associated with older age. So if there's any patients who are of older age, just, you know, something else to consider. Another point is that our study, we use the cutoff that we talked about with a score of eight or higher for men under the 60 and then a score of four or higher for men older than 60 and women of all ages, highlighting that there's different cutoff points you can use based on what source you're using as your primary source. I suspect that if we were to lower our cutoffs even more, we would identify even more at-risk drinkers in our study. We have the results here that mention that, you know, 10.5% of our patients that we looked at had what would be considered at-risk drinking from our study. But if we were to lower the threshold just a little bit, that number would go up even more. I just want to add on that, talking about lowering the cutoff score would, of course, for men, if he did for everyone using a score of greater than equal to four as opposed to eight for men, it would, of course, indicate some false positives. We know that with screening tools, you may, when you lower your threshold, your cutoffs, you might have more false positives, but that would just be a chance for, again, a clinician to have conversation with the patient and talk about what is at-risk drinking, what is considered how many drinks a day or how many drinks a week is allowed, you know, to be then at risk use. So those are conversations to be had again. Again, if you lower a screening tool threshold for cutoff, we may have more false positives that we know about with, uh, you know, the performance characteristics of any screening tool or any screening test. We are aware about that, but that gives an opportunity for clinicians to have conversations with their patients. And again, this is an ongoing study. So, you know, this is something that we will continue the the tool would be incorporated and then continue to be, we'll continue to follow our study participants. Mm -hmm. Very well said. Thank you both for joining me today and answering all my questions. Thank you, Amanda, for this opportunity to share about our work. Thanks, Amanda. It's been a pleasure.